Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The uh, book we're going to be talking about uh, this episode is Murder Boy by Brian. And this is where everybody's going to get stuck, but I think he told us it's Quartermus. I'm going to agree with that. That that sounds right. Uh, and here is his or bio. Or Brian. Or just Brian. Brian. BQ. Yeah. We can call him BQ. Yeah, that, that works. Kind of like the Dairy Queen, DQ. I used to say DQ all the time. Not like that. You're not liking that? No, no. Just, just get on with the bio. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Cordemus was born and raised in Michigan. His short stories have appeared in Plots with Guns, Thuglet, and Crime Factory, among others. And in the anthologies Hardcore Hardboiled, The Year's Finest Crime and Mystery Stories, and Uncage Me. In 2003, he was shortlisted for the debut Dagger Award for the UK Crime Writers Association. He currently lives outside of Detroit with his wife and kids. His first novel, Murder Boy, was just published by Paulus Books. And that's what we're reviewing. Yeah. Um, so we met Brian in Milwaukee. We did. At Noir at the Cantina. At a pizza, at a, <laughs> at a pizza place. Noir at the Pizza Place, which was a lot of fun. And I think maybe later we'll talk about the kind of like a little after-party gathering. I'm sure it's going to come up in, in conversation. So Absolutely. But first, first, let's talk about Murder Boy. Dominic Prince is out of options. He's lived in Detroit long enough to use his experiences of crime and poverty to fuel his writing, but he's ready to move on to bigger and better things. Dominic's thesis advisor, the elitist Parker Farmington, refuses to let Dominic pass his class, thinking the genre of pot boilers beneath him. Which means rather than becoming the next literary sensation, Dominic will spend his life asking customers if they'd like fries with that. And if that's the only plan, kidnapping doesn't seem like such a bad plan B. So if Farmington won't pass him willfully, Dominic will make him do it forcefully. And once he has Farmington's signature, fame and fortune are within Dominic's grasp. But while Dominic may have a devious and brilliant mind on the page, in reality, he's more Betty White than Walter White. And before he can write, in quotes, the plot thickens, Dominic's plan begins to go horribly wrong. Teaming with Farmington's jilted mistress and her loose cannon bounty hunter brother, Dominic finds that if even the best laid plans go awry, then he doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell. And being a great writer won't matter much if he's six feet under. Bum, bum, bum. So, one thing we've noticed about synopses over the years, over the four years now that we've been doing this, is that sometimes you'll bump into mistakes. <laughs> this one's got a mistake. Uh, at least one mistake. Um. Yes. Yes, it does. But that's a pretty good gist. I did, I did do like six takes because I couldn't read that sentence. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't. His, couldn't his doesn't have head. a snowball's chance in hell. Yes. So, um, where snowballs doing in hell anyway? That's what I want to know. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, no. Other than that, yes, it is definitely um, a, a pretty spot on to to what happens. So it, it's a little bit. Um, I don't know initially when I thought, hey, we're going to review Murder Boy. What my thought was based on that title, but um, if you're thinking that it might be a little kind of dark comedy, um, you might be right. Yeah, and you find out early on in the book what Murder Boy refers to, so it's not like you have to wait the whole book to to pick up on some vague reference to something. Murder Boy 
um, Dominic, who is our her protagonist, um, is a student, as is um, made very clear in the synopsis. And uh, his fellow student uh, in his uh, writing classes have given him the name Murder Boy for the type of stories that he tends to write, which are more crime-focused rather than, I think, more literary-focused, which a lot of the other students in his classes kind of focus on. So we pick up this story with um, Dominic, who is um, drunk and has decided that it is a good idea to kidnap his professor and force him into signing his um, his thesis, some type of form. Basically, I don't know. I didn't go to college for a long time. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, but he, he plans this, and he winds up at the he winds up going to. Um, the professor is having an affair with a teaching assistant. It's it's pretty well known. So he goes to this girl's house and winds up um, kind of spilling his guts about this plan. And she kind of kind of takes him in. So he's really, really drunk. He gives tells her all this. And then he wakes up the next day in her bed um, in Farmington's there. Yeah. And the tone of the book is set very early on because um, you realize that we don't have the most savvy or, or clever protagonist, and um, he puts together kind of half-assed schemes, and when they fall apart, I mean, like, and he, and he ends up kind of revealing himself quite often. So, like, you know, in the middle of doing something, he'll just kind of reveal his master plan, and things go bad, and all that kind of stuff. So, like, that kind of starts out by telling his professor's girlfriend that he wants to kidnap him, um, which, uh, uh, and some of the plot does get a little bit unclear and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that but uh, essentially uh, he reveals, like Livia said his idea to kidnap his professor but then goes on in more detail to talk about his uh, his book that he's writing as his main thesis I think for, for um, his degree which in contrast to most books that you write is a collection of short stories I believe or an anthology as opposed to an actual full novel um she, in turn, tells Farmington about it so that she can try and get him on board to help out Dominic because she kind of feel I don't know she kind of it's almost like a pity thing I felt like she kind of wants him to succeed a little bit so she gets uh, she tries to get Farmington to go along with it. And surprisingly enough, Farmington does, but we find out pretty quickly that it's only because he is um, kind of in, indulging her because he likes sleeping with her. So he has no plans to really help um, Dominic along, at which point Dominic enlists the help of um, the, the girl Posey of her brother, who is a kind of crazed bounty hunter who's not a big fan of anybody his sister is uh, involved with. And in this case, I could see it where he's kind of like the, the, you know, I'm assuming older professor she's the teacher's assistant you know it, it doesn't it's not the like like it doesn't give you that warm and fuzzy feeling when you know when your little sister meets somebody that's you know in that position i would imagine it's not i don't know i don't have a little sister i have zero little sisters but yeah i could imagine i would i would imagine i would i would default to thinking that the professor is taking advantage of his power over her um yeah so titus wade is introduced as uh this kind of freaking crazy dude who's a bounty hunter, which I don't know why I knew the whole book he was a bounty hunter, but I always thought of him as a tow truck driver. Does that make any sense to you? That none whatsoever. No, <laughs> but it's okay. Maybe maybe you knew a tow truck driver named Titus at I, some point. Like you had a neighbor, and it just hasn't sunk in that that's why you. 
could be some sort of subconscious thing but uh so really can i just stop you for a second here's a problem whenever i read about a bounty hunter i think of dog the bounty hunter or boba fett mm. that's it that's, that's classic boba fett it, i didn't even think of that it's got to be one of the two if i think of one this guy's a little more dog the bounty hunter i think yeah. than boba fett because boba fett's super cool boba Titus fett. Wade, not that cool yeah did you ever <laughs> Oh, this is going to ruin it for you, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to ask you if you ever heard that MC Chris song, Fett's Vet. No, no, I, oh, have, I have not. Will, will you sing a few a few lines it's, for us? No, it's like rap, but it's like nerdcore. Have you ever heard of nerdcore? It's like a... I, I've heard, but I'm not <laughs> sure. Is that kind of like, like those like fucking rap battles through history, kind of? Is that um, along those lines? Or? Just, just imagine like people rapping like just hardcore rapping but about the nerdiest shit like this guy wrote a whole song about boba fett and like having a corvette i'm assuming because it rhymes you know Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you've never i can't believe you've never heard of this i almost want to play a little bit of it for you oh i'm I'm gonna look into it i promise Mm. all right anyway all right so Titus Wade uh, is not immediately on board with this plan, but um, all right. Here's the thing with Dominic and, and Rob. Maybe mentioned a little bit of this, but basically, this has kind of a, a little bit of the feel of those movies that that I don't like, um, like Snatch and uh, you, you know, talk about like <laughs> anything like, like, by like Guy those, Ritchie. Pretty much anything by Guy Ritchie, where there's always. Like, you can never get your hands on something without there being someone else there to take it from you. Yep. Am I saying that in a way that makes sense? Like totally that, makes sense. You know, and that's the position that... that now, I'm saying I don't like those types of movies because I don't. I'm not saying that that's a negative part of the story. I think this was clearly written into the story this way, and it wasn't accidental. But, um, for example, Dominic at that point is partnered up with a guy named uh, Ricard. Who Ricard, is a security sec- guard. Security guard, who, God damn it, is my favorite character in this movie. <laughs> oh, Ricard is a little, uh, he's a little nutty, and, and we're basically introduced to him, and within three sentences, he basically talks about this body that he has in his trunk that he kind of needs to get rid of, um, it, it, which, which is pretty cool. He's obsessed with baseball, and he's out to get this money because he wants to do some things with it, so he's got his own, his own, um, reasons for kind of being after Farmington. Um, and and that's kind of who Dominic gets passed off to. It's I feel like Dominic was just passed off from person to person in this book. Not so much that he made conscious decisions to do things. Oh, yeah. It was like he was um, just like... It, it was like if he was in a crowd and someone pushed him and then in, from being pushed, he got bumped into someone else who then pushed him who then pushed him into something else like that type of yes. thing. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Like um, a pinball. Very much like a pin. He was very much a pinball of a character. That's very well put. It's way better than my getting pushed in a crowd analogy. <laughs> um, <laughs> eloquent. Livius is eloquent. I've been having a little bit of beer, so maybe my um, my analogy machine is a little more foggy than Livius's. So, um, yeah. And from there, we kind of go on this this kind of crazy multinational. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say international. Yeah, we end up we end up in Canada at one point. This this kind of the chase is on for Farmington and and, and Dominic, our, our protagonist, in his kind of 
I don't know. In some ways, I want to say opportunistic. In some ways, I want to say spineless ways. So I'm not really sure. He kind of goes with whichever way the tide's going. So he, he his allegiances shift, <laughs> and at some points he's he's partnered up with Farmington. Some points he's kind of still after Farmington. Like it's it's kind of a, a weird dynamic. I don't know how well that type of thing would play out in the real world. Um, but in the book, for for the type of book that's written to be, and it's it's very clearly written to be kind of like a darker comedy. I, I think it, it it plays well for for you know that particular portion of it. Yeah, I will say about the dominant character that like you you can have kind of two reactions to him, two main reactions. I'm sure there's a, tons of sub reactions, but you can have the reaction that's like, oh, this is kind of just like a dopey character I don't like, or you can be like, this character is almost so like poorly qualified for the life of crime that he fell into that I almost believe it. <laughs> so. Um, I'm hoping it's the latter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That like he he I, I was yeah bumbled his way into a life of crime and uh, is just ill-equipped for it. But he's so inconsequential that no one does anything major to like get rid of him. Yeah, he's definitely along for the ride, and I I, I clearly was in that that latter camp where it's like he's just. <laughs> Well, because he thinks he knows stuff about crime because he writes crime stories. And I think right. that might be where, where the genius in this book is, is that <laughs> he kind of thinks he knows what's going on. But to be fair, he's not really he's not really coupled with with characters that are, I don't know if I want to say realistic in the crime world. So most of these characters are they're, they're pretty much caricatures of villains. Right. I mean, they're yeah. not you know, it, it's not that. If you wind up with a legitimate Ricard is is and this isn't really spoiling anything, but at one point he talks about he probably is going to be a serial killer. He's still trying to find his voice <laughs> as a serial killer, which is which is great. That whole passage is is excellent. But um, I don't know that a, that a real serial killer kind of comes across, and I don't know any serial killers that I'm aware of. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's he's kind of thrown in with these larger than life characters, these kind of caricatures of people. But in his mind, he's kind of trying to plot along the lines of a straight crime novel. It's just he's not in the novel he he thinks he's in. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Like he's trying to exist in this hard boiled world. And really what it is is just like a comedy of errors. And I mean, some of the situations, uh, I mean, you could probably think of some, I could probably think of others that he gets into are just so absurd. Like the go-to storage facility at one point, which is probably a pretty standard crime location uh, to pick up some money. uh, I can vouch for storage facilities being a pretty standard crime location. (laughs) From personal experience, yeah. That's correct. Um, Which is probably a pretty standard crime situation, but um, in the course of, of... like what goes down suddenly these two guys in wedding dresses show up and the storage locker in question blows up and uh dominic and ricard are saved by ricard's friend who is a woman in a wheelchair who has a van who's going to dispose of a body for them so it's like the situations get really weird really really fast and like that's just one of many absurd situations that just kind of blew up out of nowhere yeah, and, and one of the charms of the book, I think, is, again, like I said, kind of these caricatures of characters. So you have, it's a little bit like I feel about The Blacklist, the TV show. 
how some of the supporting characters are so much more important to it than the main character being the the, the, the sure. FBI chick. <laughs> you know what I mean? And some of those side characters are <laughs> awesome. And that's really what this is. It's it's a lot of really good side characters with Dominic being a witty, you know, a witty narrator. He's funny and seeing things through his eyes is kind of interesting. Um, but really the the meat of the story and the and the, the true entertainment comes from the interactions with these these other characters. All right, I have a very serious question for you right now, Livius. Yes. When's the last time you read a book where the protagonist cried as much as this protagonist cried? I, I, I don't. Do you have something in mind that I'm no. thinking? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I like I'm trying to there's... think back through the books we reviewed. I, I, don't, I don't know. This, I mean, this sets a bar in a category I didn't think a bar needed to be set in. Yeah, well, and, and Rob's note about the character is... is, is basically the biggest pussy in the world huh? so and, and i is, did say that huh i did say that yeah it's it, it's um yeah that, that's pretty true um but also in a way you know maybe that's fairly realistic you know i don't know how well you or i would necessarily do if we got dragged into some kind of crime caper with people who are legitimately you know willing to murder others and blow things up you know i, I don't know how well either one of us would do I don't know if I would cry. That's all I'm saying. Dude, you fucking cry at half the movies you watch. Yeah, but like, all right, that's a good. Oh, point. those are movies. <laughs> those are. <laughs> I almost cried today at the end of the uh, second season of Hannibal. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it was so emotionally charged. Fucking Dominic Prince comforted you. <laughs> he did. He did, and then he peed on my couch. Yeah, I can tell you the last time I read, uh, I, I read a, we read a book that um, somebody fucking just there's so many bodily fluids <laughs> from the oh, main God. character. Are we going back to uh, Pablo de Stairs? Pablo de Stair, man, nobody writes bodily fluids <laughs> they, like that guy. They say so. the owl was a baker's daughter. Yep, that guy. So, so much poop. So basically, um, yeah, we go on this on this ride with Dominic to um, uh, eventually maybe. I don't know. You have to read the book and find out. Does does he get his paperwork signed? Does he uh, uh, does he actually kidnap Farmington? I don't know. A lot of questions are answered at the end of this book, but there's one question that's not answered, and I don't know if I want to talk about this on the on the podcast. I don't think I want to. I think we'll sidebar this for ourselves. I have a question that maybe wasn't answered. All right, we just cut for about a minute where we talked about a bunch of stuff we don't want to spoil for you, but Livius brought up a good point. Um, and he brought up another good point, which we it doesn't doesn't matter if we talk about this or not. At the very end of the book, after the acknowledgments and everything, it is hinted, and by hinted I mean announced. <laughs> I think it fucking says it really plainly on the page. <laughs> that Paulus Books will be releasing the sequel to Murder Boy. Uh, I don't remember the exact year. It was a 2016 I didn't notice there was a year. Yeah, I could be wrong. It's a um, suit, I think. But it could be a Michael Wilson soon, for all we know. I'm going to let you tell him the title, Livius. Yes, the title of the sequel to Murder Boy is Riot Load. And, and now you could take that a couple different ways, <laughs> depending on the type of person you are. Someone really gets off on riots. Um, it says coming soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so, yes, some of those questions might be answered in riot load that remains to be seen what we're probably gonna do is just fucking ask brian quartermus to explain himself yeah maybe he'll be at awp next week and we can just in a couple days and we can just talk to him about it well detroit's not that far right from from minneapolis it's closer than we are i think right 
Um, no. Okay. That geography thing, man. Yeah. They're both north of here, so they must be right next to one another. Yeah, Detroit, Michigan. Forget about Wisconsin and the Lake Michigan. <laughs> They're just right next to each other. Wait, wait. Lake Michigan's in Minnesota? It's not... <laughs> All right, I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't Minnesota really matter. is the land of 10,000 lakes, but n- <laughs> Lake Michigan's not <laughs> Lake one of them. Lake Michigan's not one of them. <laughs> Seriously? Shit. Actually, were like, that's weird five because... five of the lakes in Minnesota, I'd give you Erie and Michigan. <laughs> oh, dude, do the whole, I'll do all five. Superior. Okay, that's three. Huron? Yes. Oh. God damn it. Yeah, one more. I can give you a hint. Go, I'm hint listening. It starts with an O. Ontario. Boom. There you go. Five Great See? Lakes. And how many of them are in Minnesota? Zero. There you go. I don't it's, know if that's true. One of them's got to be in Minnesota, right? That's not to say that there are, are not lakes in Minnesota named after the Great Lakes, but they're not the actual Great Lakes. All right. Wait, wait. There's Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> wow. Is that real? I don't know. I just watched Purple Rain. And, and Prince mentions it, and they're in Minnesota, so I'm assuming. I also just found out, like I ju- this, I just found this out this last week, that um, Graffiti Bridge is a sequel to Purple Rain. I wasn't aware that there was something called Graffiti Bridge. Really? No, I, I knew that it was similar. They're both musicians and Morris Days, and I didn't realize they were the same characters from. Can I tell you how I came to this realization? This is what I do when I'm not reading a book for this podcast. I'm watching Purple Rain, because that's the last new movie I've seen. And I'm thinking, like, I'm watching Prince on this motorcycle, and I go, God damn it, how small does that motorcycle have to be? So I look up to see what type of motorcycle it is. And it's, I don't remember what it is. But at any rate, it said it was it's custom. And by custom, I think they mean they made it like a foot shorter like or a foot and a half it. shorter than anybody else rides a motorcycle. Yeah, but then they said it also appears in, that his character also rides it in Graffiti Bridge. And I was like, well, I, uh, and something about it struck me in the wording that I looked it up and he plays the same character. Mm. You're really excited about going up to Minneapolis, aren't you? It's not just that. I just, I really like Purple Rain. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of Prince lately. There will probably be a lot of Prince playing on the ride to Minnesota. That's right. You know who listens, you know who loves Prince? Um, well, I know, I know Jesse Lawrence does and, and David James Keaton. You know who else does? No. Our man, Stephen Graham Jones, who you're going to meet up in Minneapolis. Can I, oh, I have the best idea ever. This is better than the dodgeball idea. <laughs> we go and sing karaoke, and we only sing Prince songs. I think that's definitely going to happen. I think that's totally going to happen. Matter of fact, I'm going to text Jesse right now while we're talking and tell him that he needs to make that happen. We have a lot of free time in our schedule, so I think a trip to a karaoke bar, we could probably squeeze that in. I'm actually texting him right now. Oh, I know. I know. I'll wait. Olivia <laughs> so wants to listeners. Prince karaoke in... AWP with you and Keaton and Jones. <laughs> yep. What a great story would that be to tell your uh, your grandkids. Make this happen. All right. The dispatch is out in the world. This will happen. Done, done, and done. I'm gonna meerkat that shit from last week. That's right. That's right. That one, the one meerkat watcher on Twitter will see that and be like, "What the fuck are these guys doing?" Last week it was a picture of a book. 
Fernando Herrera's like, why are they singing only Prince songs? That's right. They must be up in those Great Lakes. What? <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap up. Uh, Oh, quotes. oh, yeah, do quotes? we have to do quotes. You ready to do yeah. some quotes? Yeah, let's do some quotes. Sorry, Brian Cordermas. We got a little bit sidetracked here. Your book made us think about Prince. I mean, what greater honor is there to have bestowed upon your um, your debut novel? All right, this just in from Jesse. Jesse Lawrence. Thursday after dinner, we go to the Vegas Lounge. They've got to have some Prince in the books. They're a karaoke bar seven days a week. Boom, done. Again, we have not expanded our one night of fun to anything. <laughs> we have the one night that everything is planned in. <laughs> the rest of the time we have nothing. <laughs> that's pretty much, <laughs> that's very accurate. No, no, we are. We are. We're actually tonight, I think, we're going to try to calendar out plans with at least two friends of this podcast to hang out. So That's right. All right, Here's so quotes. Here's first quote. Um, so I don't, the setup on this is a little weird, so... Posey, who is the teacher, the professor's um, teacher's assistant girlfriend, and uh, Dominic are talking, and and they're, they're, Posey's getting kind of heated in this conversation. And, and I love this line. It's a, uh, it's this. The, the book is first person from Dominic's point of view. So anything I read, I guess that starts with an I. It's it's Dominic. I nodded in agreement and wondered if I had enough change in my pocket to get a McChicken sandwich awesome because she's like kind of pouring out her heart and she's all like upset and he's thinking about he has enough money for a chicken sandwich great stuff (laughs) to further reinforce the um not necessarily redeemable qualities of our protagonist here's a quote about uh him, him reflecting on his his prior relationship that ended i'd lost my chance to chase my dream before a miscarriage and a rotten economy set me free i wasn't going to waste this second chance Mm-hmm. Yikes, bro. Here is Dominic um, waking up in, in, in a car. I woke up with my hands taped together and a ball gag in my mouth. The bench I was on was moving, and for a brief second, I thought I was still at McDonald's and my head was spinning. When I sat up, I saw I was in the backseat of my own car with another man driving. My brain immediately went to bad places, and I assumed I was on the Sodomy Express as punishment for my strip club antics. <laughs> nice. Oh, the Sodomy Express. That one runs right by your place, doesn't it? <laughs> wow. I live in one gay neighborhood and it just never ends. <laughs> um <laughs> The thing I like about this book is there's some pretty realistic um behaviors of writers that are that are depicted in the book, and this is one that I see constantly on online on the social medias. I, I highlighted it out of pure amusement, and I could just identify with, with seeing this all the time. I was at a table in the university library writing when Parker Farmington found me. Rather, I was doing what passed for writing in my special world. After typing a few words in the open document on my computer, I switched over to Twitter and tried to build my brand. You know what builds a brand, all you writers out there? <laughs> a good fucking book. <laughs> There it Nothing is. Nothing says brand like creating content. <laughs> Episode 248. Boom. I just dropped some knowledge on you. Is it 248? I hope it is. Oh, people People think that we don't know a lot about writing and what gets <laughs> it done as guys who don't typically write. But I got to tell you, we have some insight. We have some insight. We do. I mean, like, you can have an excellent social media presence, but if your book sucks, that's it. No brand. 
I've got I got two quick ones here. This one's just great. It's, it just says at that point I wasn't sure there was a hero in my story, just varying degrees of villain. Ooh, that's one of mine too. Ah, so good. Very good. Here is um, one of my. <laughs> this is this might be, this might actually be my favorite line of the whole book, and, and that's um, Titus and Dominic are involved in this conversation, and at one point Titus tells um, Dominic that he needs to get uh, get some stuff out of the trunk of his car. <laughs> Dominic says, you're not going to put me in there, I said. <laughs> and Titus' response is, why would I do that? I got other shit in here more important than you. That's, <laughs> and that's, I think that's a perfect example of how he's treated in this book. Like, <laughs> seriously, if you think about it, he keeps thinking all these really terrible things are going to happen to him. And everyone kind of treats him as, as, as very insubstantial. Um, yeah, like he's just like, yeah, exactly. Just inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got two quotes to illustrate the Ricard character a little bit. Uh, the first one is they need help moving. Uh, they need help because the, the car has a flat tire and they need to get out of the place before uh, police arrive. This is after that uh, storage facility exploded that I talked about earlier. I know someone who can help us with that. She's paralyzed and a bit of a bitch, but last resorts and all that, right? I had that one too. And I had a feeling you did, which is why I skipped over it. Here's here's the other one. Um, they're talking about getting some food. It's Dominic and uh, Ricard. So first it's Dominic, and then it goes right to uh, Ricard for the two other parts. How about Taco Bell, I said. There's one near here, isn't there? By the college. I got a burrito there once at like 2 a.m. after I stabbed a guy at a bar. <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, um. Yeah, this one's almost one for booked theater, but I, I think we'll we'll kind of move on. I'm just going to do this. <laughs> Ricard is easily my favorite character in this book. Uh, this is this is Ricard's um, uh, um, response to something Dominic says. I got shit to do this week. I can't be giving in to every itch and craving to knife a bitch. <laughs> I've had weeks like that. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine lately, right? Yes, like much late. Yes, very lately. So. One of the underexplored uh, qualities of our protagonist is that he likes to sing, right? Mm-hmm. This is a quote that I, I thought was kind of cute. Singing, though, that's my thing, especially on a stage, especially undercover. I didn't even mind when the first singer to volunteer was a drunken frat boy who wanted to duet Elton John with me. You be George Michael. All right, I'm going to go into my last one. Um we mentioned some of this in this, but there's there's probably three or four great things in this in this one line, especially when it's taken a little out of context. Context. Um, to stop whatever play had Ricard had in mind for Parker and the book festival, I was going to need a distraction, and a group of pulp-minded men in wedding dresses could be just what I needed. So there's a crime going to happen at a book festival, which is typically not the the the, the crimiest place <laughs> you can be. Um, there is the word pulp-minded, or words pulp-minded, which is pretty great. And then again, the men in the wedding dresses come up, which is uh, visually pretty pretty excellent. Um, and it's it's the it's it's a, it's one of those bigger stories that exists in books sometimes. There's a bigger story there. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I'm done with quotes. What do you got? Oh, dude, I've got like seven more, so I'll try and pick and choose a little bit. 
After Parker left, I craved a long hot shower, but I couldn't keep myself upright long enough and settled at the back of the tub while the hot water pulverized my skin. I'm not sure about the exact timeline of the events that followed, but sometime after I fell asleep under the water, the hotel desk clerk and the waitress from the diner broke into the hotel room wearing wedding dresses and started shooting. Those wedding dresses, dude. Telling you. Uh, Ricard's killing someone off camera, I guess I could say. And this is um, Dominic wondering what's going on. I wondered if it was possible that instead of killing her, he was actually having sex with her. Then I figured if he was as broken as I thought, he wouldn't have a problem doing both. <laughs> it's because Ricard is goddamn awesome. Yeah. Um, speaking of, this is from him. We're two young guys trying to find our way. Yours is writing. Mine is killing. You're looking for your voice, and I'm looking for mine. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is going to be my last one, and this one just caught me by surprise by, like, how most of the book is written very simply, and this was just, like, kind of a step above that. So um, I thought it was it was interesting, and I think, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think this is a quote that is <clears throat> from another character, actually, who's not Ricard, but um, that we didn't mention, but um, I, I like this quote. None of us are deserving of our next breath, lest we take it for granted. Creative breaths are even less guaranteed. That came like out of nowhere. And it's from a littler character in the book, but I thought it was really good. And um, I, I guess it's time. It bears. It bears before we go into uh, wrap ups. It bears telling that there's a place, a setting, in this book that Livius and I have actually been to. Yeah, I don't know much that we should talk about. I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. But there's there's definitely an, an homage to, um, to to Crime Spree magazine in this uh, in this book. Yeah, Brian's got a motorcycle. He's driving past my apartment right now. Um, Brian's Brian's got a little bit of a soft spot apparently for the Crime Spree people because there was a character who was named after, and then like a location that was described in a very similar way to. Some crime spree location stuff. Did you notice that this did not have um, this? Uh, this book did not have that any similarities to people living or dead tag on it. Oh, I didn't I notice that. It, I, I don't know if it didn't. I'm assuming it didn't. I don't, maybe <laughs> you have it to didn't. look at it now. Well, do you want to start the wrap up so I look for that? Um, yeah, so uh, I can do that. Um, oh, dude, I don't think it does. Hang on. Well, yeah, because there's some references to people who might be alive. It doesn't. At least the ebook that we got doesn't. There you go. Um, yeah, wrap-ups. Um, this book um, struggled a little bit with kind of thinking in, in, in how I was going to um, you know finish up a, a review on this book. Um, I have had a, a, a rough 10 or 12 days at work. So my sleep pattern's all goofy. I, I worked some overnights. I mean, a, a bunch of things have been going on real stress-wise. So in some parts, I, I kind of felt like I lost the thread of the plot. Um, so I was kind of thinking like, well, you know, that that's that's a side of, of a not good book, right? I mean, that's typically... Rob, is that would you say that's probably a good... Um, I think most of the time that's not a good sign, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, in talking through this with you and thinking about the characters I enjoyed and how um, maybe quirky and, and a little different the book was, that the, the main character wasn't supposed to be really cool. He was kind of, a, kind of a dork and kind of a little bit of a wuss. I, I realized that I didn't really care so much about the plot of the book 
I still was able to really enjoy it. There's a there's a series I read. It's the Elvis Cole series by Robert Crace. And, and I kind of feel the same way about it. I can't tell you shit about any of the plot to any of the books. What I really like is the character interaction, specifically the two main characters uh, that appear in, in each of the books. And, and I think that's kind of kind of where, where I'm at with Murder Boy. Um, it's it's a wild ride, so it moves really quickly. And, and with the books that have a lot of action and kind of plot twists, you know, it, it doesn't... Um, it doesn't say stagnant long enough to be boring. It just kind of keeps moving. Um, but the characters are really engaging. Um, they're entertaining and, and most importantly, a lot of times funny. Um, so that being said, I don't I, I wasn't blown away by the plot of the book, but I really, truly enjoyed um, quite a few of the characters. Um, there's definitely some memorable things in here. There are some bigger stories, I think, that are hinted at that I'd like to see a little bit more uh, reveals on. Um, maybe in the sequel. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but until then, I'm going to go uh, 3.75 stars on this one. Oh, man, we hit four years and you're just blowing all conventions out of the water. I know I why this book caused me to do that. I think it's because you know that I keep track of all this stuff and you want to make my life <laughs> a little bit more a, difficult. I'm moving into decimal points and it's going to be like 3.61. I'm like, God damn it. How am I going to average this? Yes. <laughs> um, I have very similar feelings about the book to what Livia said. Um, uh, overall, it's definitely entertaining. It's definitely within the, the crime. It's definitely a crime fiction kind of book, but uh, lighthearted and a little bit less... Um, <sighs> trying to think of the, the best word for this. Severe. Um, not really... I mean, if you, if you look at... What, ha- what happens from the beginning to the end? Not a lot changes except for some people die. Uh, <laughs> who's, who's jaded now? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what a couple deaths! What that's all you got for me? Um, but <laughs> so plot wasn't the plot wasn't the engine of this uh, story. It was it was the entertaining scenarios and it was the quirky characters and it was just like um, it, it was more of like a, a carnival. Than a, than a you know a serious story, um, and I know that probably sounds bad, but I mean that in the most complimentary way that you could probably take that. Um, I just found out <laughs> recently, and this is a total sidebar, in the middle of my wrap up, which I don't think I've ever done, that I, I blurbed something for someone, and um, they actually took it really poorly. <laughs> recently, did you know about this, Olivia? Get no, get out, really. <laughs> Visible filth, Nathan Ballingood. Yes. Uh, my quote was something about um, uh, I can't remember exactly what I said, but something about like um, if you didn't uh, gag, you're you're a stronger person than me or something like that. And he was like, he took it like I, I listened to an episode of This Is Horror where they interviewed him. Actually, there was two episodes, and in one of them, they talked about specifically my blurb that I gave them and how off off the point I think he felt that was. He didn't think it was a gag worthy story, and I was like, oh man. <laughs> Wow. I totally made this guy feel bad about the thing he wrote. <laughs> By writing what, what was it? Yeah, I gotcha. But you, did he hear our review? Does he know you like the book? Yeah, they listened to the review, so that's redemp- there's redemption there. He doesn't think that I just thought it was like a gross story. Right. He knows that he knows I got it. But my quote, I think he thought was a little bit off base. So when I say that it's a carnival, <laughs> I want Brian specifically, <laughs> in case you're listening, to know that I mean that in the best way possible like there's just a lot of entertaining things going on and we as the audience can can 
you know, kind of take it all in. But like Livia said, there's a lot going on, so it gets a little bit confusing if you don't really pay attention to what's going on. That's kind of what I mean by carnival. Nathan. <laughs> uh, I feel, see, that's the problem. Now, when, when, when I hear the impact of what I say about someone's writing, then I feel like I have to defend myself when I say anything about anybody's writing. Uh, that's terrible, Livius. Let's not do this anymore. Is, yeah, I gotta... I was thinking about that, and I was like, well, you know what? I, I guess here, here's the thing. So, again, not to detract from your, your wrap-up, but when you write things and you put them out there for people, they, they're they going to have opinions. That's a very succinct way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else. I'm not trying to oversimplify, but that's what happens. <laughs> um, and my opinion of, of Brian's book is, yeah, it is definitely entertaining, and it's definitely – it. it it earned its place within the realm of crime fiction. Uh, and I think I'm with Livius on this, not with the 3.75 stars, but now I want to kind of offset you. I don't even know how to do that. I'm not going to do the math in my head. We're just going to do three and a half stars on this one. There you go. Um, so I did nothing yeah. to offset you. I just, I got frustrated and gave up. <laughs> it was a fun book. I liked it. And, and, and sometimes it doesn't have to be like, and again, this is one of those things I'm going to say where, you know, Nathan <laughs> Nathan Ballingard might take it the wrong way. It doesn't have to be a great book. It can just be a fun book and, and be enjoyable. Yeah. All right. Now let's look at the flip side of that. We're going to review a book that I'm pretty sure Rob is now pretty sure we're reviewing this. Pretty sure it's not going to be enjoyable at all or fun for that matter. God damn it. <laughs> we're only reading I the one, right? It can't be right that it's 800 pages, can it? Well, you saw the sample page, right? It had like 10 words on it. I know. Mark Danielewski's The Familiar comes out in a few short months. We're already preparing and trying to clear our schedules <laughs> to, to read. The We're thing taking a summer vacation for it. Oh, my God. Dude, so not only is it 800 pages, I finally saw, and maybe this has been readily available. Did you see the release schedule for the 27 volumes? Yeah, it's like every three months. Every three months. I don't know that we're going to get much past maybe the second one. Oh, man. What if we did all 27? <laughs> Here's the thing. First of all, fuck. Do you know how much that would cost us? Because this probably isn't. I don't even know if this is coming out as an ebook. Yeah. If it's an 800 page print copy, think about the genius of this. He knows he has a hardcore fan base, right? He hasn't written a book in years. I mean, fuck. Only Revolutions has got to be 10 years ago now. Um, yeah, it's a long time gone. Actually, so I haven't instead, what he does is he releases 27, is it 27, 24? 27. 27. Yeah, 27 only Revolutions books. came out in 2006. He does it over, a, what, oh God, it's four per year, so is that seven-year period. And if they're 800 print pages, each copy is like 40 bucks. Yeah. He is going to put out the equivalent of, like, fucking Stephen King, <laughs> but in one book in 27 volumes. You know what his advance for this was? I have no idea. A million bucks. Oh, wow. Well, here's the thing. Seven though. figures. So the first copy is going to sell like crazy now. If this thing's a piece of shit. <laughs> no, think about this. The second will come out and the third will come out. And then it's going to dwindle off. There may not be a fourth or fifth. There will be diminishing returns for sure. Yeah. So, but I, I, here's the whole thing. Maybe it's fucking brilliant. Maybe it's great. Maybe we'll fall in love with this thing. So we'll go with it for as long as, as it's fun. And probably into one that's really bad. 
So, <laughs> well, but I mean, that's that's what's going to happen, right? Like, we're going to read the first one. Maybe it's brilliant. Maybe the second one's okay. Maybe the third one's shit. And then we have to talk about how it's shit, and that's why we don't read the other 24. <laughs> then we'll just bring it up. We'll be like, yeah, remember that series we started reading? Remember how it sucked? Yeah, remember we gave up after only 2,400 pages? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, the pages look a lot like 50-year sword. Mm-hmm. Yep. Weird design and far far beyond what happened with uh, House of Leaves. I'm going to say that. We'll see, though. That was sample pages. We don't know that there isn't. Like, here's the whole thing. If you're going to show sample pages, something you show the interesting ones, right? You don't show just the regular book pages. Yeah, I guess. Unless you want to fuck with people and you just put, like, the most common page ever. And they get the book and they're like, what the hell? This was, like, one page that looked like this. Uh, that's true. So, anyway. <laughs> I don't know. That's only news because we found out. I found out the release schedule today and we saw the sample page thanks to io9, the website, which um, did a little article on it. But it, it did renew my interest in it. So we'll, we'll see. Dan Yalewski's quote, quote uh, in the article was pretty interesting, too. He said that House of Leaves tackled the horror story and Only Revolutions tackled music. And um, the familiar is tackling television. Cats. It's tackling a bunch of fucking it's, cats. It's, tack, it's one cat. It's a cat tackling cats, right? Yes, exactly. Can, uh, can, so, did you ever try to read Only Revolutions? Um, no. I tried reading it like three different times and literally could not get 20 pages in. I gave up. I mean, like, it looked like poetry, and I don't have, I have it in my hand right now again. I don't know, man. Like, you told me the, like, recommended way to read it and everything, and... It's a goddamn really pretty book, though. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah. I think this dude just needs to, like, get over it, you know? <laughs> Does that sound a little bit too reductive? A little bit. Dude needs All to I get know over is it. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know that this isn't the greatest thing ever. Fucking but, House of Leaves is brilliant. I will say that. Indeed. I'm also very excited about the final um, Pinhead story. So that's going to be another, like, 700-page fucking opus. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Clive Park. Rob is going to hate the shit out of me by the end of this year. Another book that I read entirely out of context because I have no preparation for it. You know, but realistically, here's the thing. It, it seems like Pinhead's a huge character, and he is, but this all, I think, only takes place after the initial short, short story, The Hellbound Heart. Okay. I, I think all the other things, like, this does not... Um, fucking pinhead in outer space is not canon <laughs> as far as the story is concerned and have you ever seen um the uh oh, what the hell is it called fuck the illusion the scott bacula movie but where he plays what? harry down i can't think of what it's called definitely not oh okay because that character's in it too harry dm Moore, who's appeared in several of clive barker's stories including um everville which was really great. I read it like 20 years ago. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> what the hell is it called? It's got Scott Bakula in it. How have you not seen it? Um, why would <laughs> I like that you assume that if it's got Scott Bakula in it, I've seen it. I have seen Necessary Ruffless. Rough, necessary Roughness. <laughs> <laughs> See? <laughs> How have you not seen the Lord of Illusions? That's what it's called. Uh, you know what? Between... <laughs> 
Quantum Leap and Necessary Roughness. I had enough Scott Bakula. I never watched that fucking Star Trek series that he was in. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was in that. Enterprise? I think he was in Enterprise. It could be. I don't know. It's just Scott I'm getting. I'm getting a page count. It is... Oh, oh it's only go. 368 pages. Well, that's low for the books we've been reading recently. At one point, Clive Barker had said, maybe 800 pages. <laughs> like, he's been working on this book, allegedly, for like 20 years. There was, there was a website that, uh, that listed every interview that he mentioned it in. And as this got bigger and bigger and bigger, but apparently someone at St. Martin's was like, listen, listen, Clive. Fuck you, man. <laughs> You're, you're no you're no Mark Danielewski. Here's the red you get pen. 370 pages. That's it. Yeah, that's funny. It's coming out in May. Really excited. Le- I like Pinhead. I aspire to be Pinhead. What's all right? So for someone who's unfamiliar with the Hellraiser kind of world, what is the function of Pinhead? Pinhead is the leader of the Cenobites. That's really all you need to know. What is Pin? I mean, like, is Pinhead just a crazy, like, kill killing people type person, or? Um, yeah, no. Basically, okay. So here's your preparation. You need to watch the movie Hellraiser because it's fucking great. <laughs> um, and that'll kind of explain it to you. The Cenobites, um, basically come when they're summoned. So there's this puzzle box. It sounds so stupid when you try to explain it. Somebody, <laughs> there's a puzzle box that's like kind of the the secret to like all pleasure. And basically what happens is the Cenobites come and they like string you up with chains and eventually through some way or another you can become a Cenobite that basically all they do is is torture people. They're demons. And he's like the head demon, he's got nails sticking in his face. He is he is the, the priest of hell, according to the synopsis for the Scarlet Gospels. But yeah, he's the head of the Cenobites. Alright. Dude, watch Hellraiser. You just spent like two days rewatching Hannibal. Watch Hellraiser. It's like ninety minutes. You'll love it. I will watch. I will watch Hellraiser. Okay. What else we got going on? We got to. Oh, oh, we have. So, so we have been adopted and abandoned by several contributors to this podcast over the four years. Yeah, and at one definitely. point. At one point, I, I almost thought Skip Papersley was going on that list. And what, lo and behold, what happened? Uh, he I came f- back to us. Came back to the, mm-hmm. wait, is that what we're talking about? Yes. <laughs> yes. He came back to us with a, a, a nice little um, greatest hits, not, not of the podcast, but of book news, which um, has been with us for uh, three years, maybe. Yeah, he's, he's he's been he's been with us for a long time. Yeah. So um, here is the latest installment of Book News. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. The Book Boys are turning four. Can you believe it? And Book News has only had 38 episodes. But to help celebrate the Book Boys turning four, Book News has put together a compilation of some of our best news stories from our 38 episodes. Here, enjoy. And finally, Notorious 19 by Janet Ivanovich is number one with a bullet. The same bullet that killed Biggie Smalls. Publisher Penguin is starting a book truck. Rather than make books easy to order online at fair prices that ship quickly to your house, they made a truck that you can visit to buy books. 
Stops include Central Park for the Manhattan Shakespeare in the Park, the ALA Conference in Chicago, Mark Twain's House, and Old Route 66. As of the time of press, the final destination will be the Mojave Desert where the truck will be burned. According to Penguin President Susan Peterson Kennedy, the book burning will, quote, be the official start of the apocalypse as we burn knowledge for the hell of it. In other news, creator of beloved comic, Kelvin and Hobbes, Bill Waterston, recently penned a new strip for the Angelim International Comic Festival in France. We were able to connect with the normally elusive Waterston to ask him why he avoids the press. He said, I was just tired of everyone asking me what it was like to be the assistant DA on Law & Order. Amazon's new Kindle World is already heating up Kindles with steamy scenes of fanfiction from their favorite worlds. The book news staff has taken upon themselves to sample some of these scintillating selections. This week is a piece of fanfiction from the quiddity of Will Self called Ectophilia Ghost Boners by B. James Cameron. Here is a selection. Damn girl, I know you're dead, but you're giving me mad ghost boners, said Charlie as he stared at the urn of Veruca. Something crept over him. The knowledge that she would never again lick a snozberry filled him with ectoplasmic ecstasy. He would be the one to have the bean feast. He was going to give it to her now. He was going to cash in his golden ticket. What recap of last year would be complete without a recap of the best fiction in 2012? Coming in number five, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. Gillian Flynn. Gillian Flynn, Gillian Flynn's my wife. Gillian Flynn, 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 Gillian Flynn. Well, what can you say? Sometimes there are memories that you're just not ready to confront yet. Every year we get a little older and we start to look back at where we've been and what we've gone through. For the book boys, they've been through four years of podcasting. For me, I've been through time traveling, divorce, getting my show replaced, being imprisoned, and finally ratting out the boyfriend of my ex-wife. Where am I now? Ending this segment. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Habersley. Signing off. Dude, it's only been 38 episodes of Book News. I know. It's one of those things you feel like we've probably, you know, like like interludes. You would think we've had like a hundred of them, but really there's only just like a handful. A couple dozen. Yeah. I do think that he has put more work into those 38 Book Newses than we did in the 240 episodes of the show. I mean, he's got music running behind him the whole time, and he's got, like, he looks up information. He didn't yes, read he full books. Research. He didn't read books, though. Like, we read full books. We did. 146 <laughs> of them now or something. Ghost boner. <laughs> this, this <is laughs> give me mad ghost boners. <laughs> <laughs> any rate, I hope that book news lives on um, for at least another 38 episodes. It's, it's good to have Skip around. You know what it takes to get him to send us one, right? You have to ask? I text him like four days ahead of time, and then it nice. happens. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It'd be nice if you just did it, though. Skip, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. When we are when we are in uh, Minneapolis in, in a few short hours at this point, 
Um, we need to pour a little bit out for the, for the fallen ones. Yeah, yeah. A little bit for Malaz Corbier and a little bit for, for A. Adamotten, for those that are no longer with us. That's right. And you know what I'm told? Another thing that we have to do? Another drunken Skype sing call to Axel Tyari. What? Oh, yeah. I was going <laughs> to say sing karaoke prints. <laughs> That's going to happen for sure. No, another drunken Skype call to our man Axel Tyari. I think that I was thinking about that, and I think I want to add some drunken calls to that Skype list. I think we're I think we're going to try to make these a surprise, though. Ooh. Yeah. I, I have two other people that I think we need to, to drunken call on Skype. Quick, put your hand over the mic and tell me who they are. <laughs> this is so stupid. Who are they? <laughs> oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to put that in. We can tease people who has this. People will anxiously be waiting by their Skype <laughs> for us to fucking call. People just start posting their Skype names on the booked podcast listening group. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Let's suggest people do that. If they want to call for us while we're in AWP, and we may select a few to do that with. Oh, shit. That's an excellent idea. And we can record it. Yes. All right. So, <clears throat> see, this all right. Is I don't know what Rob decided to cut out of that mess. So we're not divulging the two additional Skype calls I want to make while we're in Minneapolis. But Rob had, uh, again, most of our brilliant ideas start out as, as just kind of jokes. Uh, but this is an actual good idea. If you're interested in receiving a Skype call from AWP in Minneapolis, you need to go to the Book Podcast Listening Group. And you need to, um, uh, oh, you know, we have to do this a different way. We're probably going to be Skyping from your phone, right? So they need to add you. Is probably the oh, easier. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Do that. So, um, I roll out your information. I, I don't. I'm not sure you are. You're just Rob on my screen. So. <laughs> All right. So, if you want to receive a potentially drunken, but definitely some sort of Skype conversation with us, while Livius and I are at AWP, you need to add me as a contact on your Skype list. My Skype account is. Olson Rob, so that's O L S O N R O B B. Send me a, a connection request, and in the in the comment, say call me from AWP. And if you, if it, if you're already friends with Rob, I guess you could drop a, a, a you know book podcast listening group. You could drop your plea for a call in the book podcast listening group. Now we're not going to call everybody, so all three of you that ask may not give calls, but but <laughs> um, it is possible that you will be selected um, for a Skype call. And it's not going to be just me and Rob. We've got other people there with us. So you never know who will be in, involved in that call. Oh, dude. The potential is crazy. Jesse Lawrence. It could be Misty Bennett. It could be Stephen Graham Jones. It could be David James Keaton. Other people with three names. <laughs> the, the, guy the, and, guy the bell from your hotel. The guy, yeah. <laughs> remember when I had uh, in Boston, I made the guy pose with the rubber duck? Do you remember that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, I have a picture of that. Anyway, um, the bellhop, it was literally the bellhop. I made him pose holding the rubber ducky from the Colonnade, Colonnade Hotel, um, and his name was Dominic. I remember this. Good guy. So, so there you go. We are bringing you guys into the fold. It'll be like being there. Or it's going to be like getting a Skype call. <laughs> It'll be least. just like so, getting a Skype call. I can so. guarantee that. So there are two people we plan on Skype calling already. 
and and Rob confirmed that this was all a good idea, but there could be more. Basically, we have nothing going on while we're there, so we're just going to be looking to Skype people. We're going to record it all for yeah. the show. Livius is Livius is basically trying to find things that I can do while I'm super drunk. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Because if Rob's uh, if Rob's occupied, I don't have to babysit him. That's right. That's it. That's all we got, right? I believe that is it. Um, next week's episode, no idea what it is. I can tell it's not going to be a book because we will be traveling for a good portion of the next week. So probably an interlude, maybe some content from um, AWP, maybe some drunken Skype calls. Who knows? But um, until then, I'm Livia Stedden. And I am Rob Olson. Keep reading.